0: Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Okay, good. Well, we uh, are—I'm excited that we're getting into this whole new series called Better Together, this series through the book of Ephesians, and as we look into this place called Ephesus, this city, and what did God have for these folks, and what does God have for us— as we look into it, but really in how we can be better together, and even as you see this symbol of community and gathering at a table and just being one together, that we want to be a community that is growing in that way. And and what's interesting, though, is as we begin thinking about togetherness, it's interesting, though, when you think about the American dream, right, where sort of the American way of doing things that we have been brought up in is that there is this sense of of doing it ourselves, right? The self-made man, the, the hero that says, I work alone, you know? It's that sort of uh, hero that we are used to celebrating and celebrating the person that doesn't need anybody else. I don't need them, I can just do it alone or even if you consider... Being back in school and thinking about group projects, right? The nightmare of the group project where you had to actually work with other people to accomplish something. And that's, yes, how the real world works, but we don't like it because it's easier to just, can I just do my work? You know, can I just get this stuff done and not have to worry about all these people, right? (laughs) And and so that's like that, that whole thing for us with the American dream. And then you consider then how that has influenced the American church with churches that are really wanting to be successful as a brand and pastors wanting to be successful as a brand and be celebrities and to be all about that individual. And it's not a problem if a pastor has gained some acclaim from things that they've done. That's that's like not what I'm talking about here, but what we're talking about is that sense of it's all about that individual, that individual person, or even that individual church, where we would just think that then we, we should be somehow competing against other churches or something as our church, because that's just how we're wired in some ways, that sort of competitive, individualistic thing, and then that affects our actual, the way that we follow Jesus and the way we live out this Christian life is that we'd rather just do it by ourselves. That this whole thing of being in community or doing something together, being better together, is kind of like, it seems like a lot of a hassle. Can't I just do this alone? Can I even maybe just stay at home and watch the podcast and then I don't have to worry about all the the people right and uh, and so that's this whole thing where we approach better together from that sort of experience and background for many of us and we are then looking at obviously the book of ephesians and so what today will be is a bit of kicking off this series and this this whole notion of what does it mean to be better together but also getting into what's going on in this place called ephesus what's this place like and what is uh, what's the cultural backdrop and all of that to kind of give us a setup. So for that, we're just going to look at the first couple verses today. But then in the following weeks, we're going chunk by chunk and really digging into uh, these, these verses as we go through this book. Uh, so the first couple verses, though, just say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so it's just kicking us off where we're, we're, we're thinking of almost like Paul's letters, like an email with a to, from, and a subject line, right? And that's what he tends to give us at the beginning. This one's a little less specific about the subject line at the beginning because this book of Ephesians is a lot of like a a sort of like a 101 class like we have discover calvary well maybe they had their discover ephesus class and they would read this letter to them you know and they would get a sense of okay what does that mean the unity of the church or this amazing cosmic notion of reconciliation between man and god and and all of these supernatural things that take place with that and so they would really help show them that through even reading this letter to folks but we want to dig into a little bit here of The two, like who is this for? These people in Ephesus and in the wider region of Asia Minor. So what's the significance of this letter for these folks to the saints who are at Ephesus? These believers, these people who are following Jesus in this new thing called the way. And and what, you know, what does this look like for them? What is this? Mean and so Paul's speaking to them and he he wrote this. This is probably written somewhere around 62 ish there in AD. And uh, again, this this pastoral letter trying to help them learn more of what does this look like when you're. Bringing all these different people together, these people who are Jewish and are now followers of Jesus, these people who are Gentiles, Greeks that are now following Jesus, and all the stuff that they're bringing into it, and how can they now work together and be together in, you know, in a productive sort of way. And if you remember, as we were doing First John all summer, we kept talking about how he's really writing to this one specific problem, right? It was all about these people that denied the physical nature the flesh of Christ, Well, it's not, this is not so much like that. This is more of a general sort of letter to them. He's not just dealing with one specific problem and like driving it home over and over and over and over, although we do see this huge theme of the unity of the church, and so that's why we're talking about being better together. So let's look at a little bit of a history lesson, okay, but getting into, I I think this stuff's actually fascinating, And, and this is why, okay, that you can then help, it'll help you understand where's the rest of this letter going, like what are they doing with it when you have a greater sense of that backdrop. And so this place Ephesus is, it's really this big metropolis. It's the, it's the big city of the area. It's the, the place that has, it has 250,000 people around the time that this was written. And uh, here on the screen you can see where we're talking about, okay? So you've got Asia Minor is on the right, and the, just the province of Asia is there, we're near Ephesus, and that's where you can see it's this coastal town, had a big, very important harbor. Uh, Which, interestingly enough, uh, there's this river that would flow, like, it's called the Keister River, and it would bring this silting and sediment in, and now, if you go to Ephesus, ancient Ephesus, is actually four miles away from the coastline, even though this was a harbor, a very important harbor back then, 2,000 years ago. So over that time, it has built up over four miles of just land, and uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, So there's that, it's like the first city in Asia Minor where they did gladiator games and and all those sorts of things, around 70 B. Uh, There's a lot of, uh, or here's just like some glimpses into some of the ruins. This is called the Celsus Library. It's this amazing, you can kind of see just with the size and scope of something like that, the the wealth and the... kind of just how built up this city is, and you can see just kind of the beauty of this ancient street where you can see all of this, but only 5% of this city is currently excavated. So there's just so much more. It's pretty incredible. Um, Now, we also have some important biblical folks who have been around Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus, and Paul wrote some instructions to him. Paul himself was in Ephesus for three years, one of the longest places Uh, of his, or the longest place that he spent. Uh, Luke would have obviously been there too then if he's writing about it. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are these incredible people that got to disciple some of these heroes of the faith, but they were the ones that discipled Paul and another guy, Apollos, who preached here in Ephesus John, the guy that wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, Gospel of John, all of that, the disciple, he was the pastor in Ephesus, and then, you know, Jesus gives this charge to John to take care of his mother Mary, and so then many people believe that Mary was also in Ephesus because John had traveled up there, but that's kind of tradition and conjecture. But, so this is a, it's a kind of a big deal place even in the Bible, like a lot of people were focusing on this place because it was such a hub and the gospel's being sent forth from Jerusalem and then up to there, and then it's going out all over the place. And uh, also some other things, and we'll just touch on this because we've really talked about this, but how the emperor worship was a big deal in Ephesus. They were kind of more into emperor worship in Asia Minor than they even were in Italy and Rome. And so that was a big deal for them. These primary temples for Domitian, Titus, Vespasian, these other, um, these other Roman emperors, they would worship them there as gods, not just obey them as leaders, okay? Now, it was also a very wealthy city, full of luxury, full of comforts. Even, they, they, they believe there's potentially hundreds of brothels because the way that they viewed sexuality was very different, maybe even than, even than our culture would today. Very open, very different. Um, and slavery was also a big part of that uh, industry as well as others, and that 25% of the population were slaves. That's huge, right? Like, you got to consider, like, when there's 250,000 people, then you've got something like 60-something thousand people are slaves. So there's a level of wealth, and a level of the way they view humanity was pretty different, right? And so you got to get your head around some of that. And you can see here, there's a glimpse of some... um, some ruins of what are like the homes of the wealthy, these terraced homes that have been so well-preserved that you've got paint and tile work, like totally preserved, from, and different rooms that people had, you know, from a couple thousand years ago. These are first century homes. And they were very wealthy, and so that's why Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, you guys are wealthy, but what I want you to do is to be rich in good works, rich in good deeds, and that's how you can impact this culture, this crazy depraved culture, that's how you can impact it by being rich in good deeds. So they would, you know, they'd worship these Greek gods and especially this Greek goddess called Artemis. Artemis was the big deal of Ephesus. It was all about Artemis, okay? Artemis is this fertility goddess, this mother goddess. They've had this history, uh, all the way back to like in like 5000 BC of them worshiping mother goddesses in this area. And so I believe that's like a a demonic stronghold in that area of this worship of these fertility goddesses, okay? And that, that there's some sort of hold that the enemy has in this area of bringing this idol worship to be such an important thing. And uh, we'll, we'll read a little bit about it in Acts 19, but here you have their big statue to Artemis and then a recreation of the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple in Ephesus, just on the other side of the hill from downtown Ephesus, is where this massive temple is, where people would come. They'd, they'd come for a month-long festival in the spring to worship Artemis. All of their industry, their culture, their religion is all around Artemis. Artemis was so important to them. And because of that, because of Artemis's, like, how high she was viewed in this area and how serious they were about this, okay, you got to make sure your head's not thinking, like, how you think of Greek mythology, okay? You think of Greek mythology as something you had to read in one of your English classes in school and they were some nice stories. This, for them, is who God is, okay? So make sure you have that as the backdrop of all of this. This is who God is for them, who, if they are coming to Christianity, they are leaving worshiping Artemis to come worship Jesus, okay? They're not just kind of like stopping believing in nothing or something, okay? They are, they are believers in Artemis. She is the one. She is the powerful one that they care about. And, uh, and so... Because of that, too, Artemis was this female goddess with all this strength and power. Now, women had a much higher sort of ranking in society in Ephesus than in other places because of the Artemis cult and because of these priestesses of Artemis and all of that. And, um, and a lot of that is where you'd see even not just the patrons of these wealthy homes would have power, but even more often the matrons of these wealthy houses, these family systems would have the power. And so then that's why even you'll start to see some things where Paul is writing to them about how women should act and things like that and submission that are coming from a very different thing, different place than all these other cities of the world as he might write to them about that. But that's a little side note for us. So I, I want us just to look at really as briefly as we can Acts 19. Okay, just turn in your Bibles to Acts 19. It won't be on the screen. But I want us just to see how important this was to them, Artemis was to them. Even Acts nineteen nineteen has, where they began to burn their books of magic worth 50,000 pieces of silver. These were, because they were, these were not just like burning your book because it had like a cuss word in it or something. This is burning your books because they were instructions for worshiping demons, essentially, okay? So they're getting rid of those and turning away from that and turning towards Christ. And then Acts twenty three says about, I mean, sorry, Acts nineteen twenty three says about that time there occurred no small dis- disturbance concerning the way. So it was a big disturbance about these Christians, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Luke likes that little turn of phrase. A lot of business is what he's trying to say. So verse twenty five, these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said. Men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. See how they talk about this? Like, it's a big deal to them, okay? And it's also a big deal to their money, their pocketbooks, right? This is a big deal to their culture, to their religion, and to their economy. And so then it says, when they heard this, they were filled with rage and they began crying out saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so they even refer to her as Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater. So there's starting to get to be more people are getting riled up about all of this, and you see a picture of the theater in Ephesus that holds 25,000 people, okay? And so they're gathering in this place, and they're getting worked up, and they're getting angry, and then later on... Uh, Verse 34 says, But when they recognized this guy Alexander was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours are just shouting it. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, they're just, this is This is everything to them. And then the clerk comes and is like, hey, men of Ephesus, chill out, basically, okay? After all, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? Okay, because there was actually a meteorite that fell in the spot that they built that temple, and they believed that that meteorite that fell was Artemis. And so, anyway, all of that is just... Kind of wild to get that into your head of how big and important all that is, the backdrop of everything that we're looking at, okay? The wealth, the sense of being divided into many different types and groups of people, this worship of these Greek gods, all of that plays into what we, how we are going to look at this book of the Bible, this letter, as we now dig into, okay, sure, what was that significance for them, but what's the significance of this letter for us today? Because when you have this fractured society of these people who are Jews still, you have these people who are Jews who've become Christians, you have people that are Greeks and are worshiping the Greek gods still, and then you have these Greeks that have become Christians, and then you've got outsiders because it's a traveling town, and you've got all these different people that are are together, right? And now we have these followers of this thing called the way. And in Ephesians 2.19, he says, So then you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. But you are fellow citizens. You might come from all these different countries, but you're fellow citizens with the saints of the kingdom of God. And, and guess what? You're also of God's household. You're part of this family. We are now part of a family together. We come from all these crazy places. We might have completely different backgrounds, and for us, right, even in this room, we're coming into this room from a variety of different ages. We're coming into this room from different genders, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic, um, you know, statuses, whatever that might be. We've got all sorts of different jobs represented here, and yet we all come together, and we're part of the same family. And we've got to recognize that, that we are actually better together. And, and for this part, I want us to say that we need to grow together, okay? This is what we need. We need to grow together, okay? As we grow in our faith, we grow together. Because as you look at what, how the Christian faith is described and what it looks like to follow Jesus, is that following Jesus it's designed to be in community. It's all supposed to be together. I mean, you look at those those words that you see on the screen there, but these these ways that Paul describes what the church looks like a body, a building, a temple, a household, a bride, you know, we're adopted, all these different ways that he's talking, and even if you have your notes, you can see a bunch more on the back. A bunch more, way, uh, a lot of ways where better together is sort of discussed in some way throughout the book of Ephesians, and how there's so much one anotherness, right? There's so much we and our and together we can do all of this, and so that's what we're to be. That this was never like, intended to be a, th- a thing that we did by ourselves. And so we have that American ethic of working hard alone, and it can come into conflict with the way that the church was designed. Because in isolation, we're at ease, right? It's easier to be alone, but we will have a lack of fulfillment, and often depression comes through isolation. But in community, we're going to have to work a lot harder, and it's probably going to be a lot less convenient, but... That's where we really find fulfillment, okay, and purpose, is that when we are working together and we're growing together in all of this. And so we we have to see it, though, as not just part of even like a community or a kingdom, but that whole thing of this household, right, this family, that you are part of a family now as a follower of Jesus. We are all in the same family. That's why we say, hey, brother and sister, that kind of a thing, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we recognize that brothers and sisters often don't get along, right? And if you've had a brother or sister or you've been a parent, you've witnessed that, right? Where we love each other, but sometimes it's hard to get along. And so we have to recognize, though, that we are part of a family and that this family loves you and needs you. And so there's a couple things that we have to do. We have to actually love each other, right? I mean, that's a first step where we have to love each other, show love to one another, go out of our way to show love for one another. That's what we're called to do. And then to like receive that love and reciprocate that love. But this family doesn't just love, like we need, we need you. We need all of us to do this thing, right? Like, when, when one member of the family goes off and tries to do it alone, our family is incomplete. Our family is, is lacking. Our family is missing something because we're all bringing different things to the family. And when we all act together and we're we're one, that's when we can, like, really see us growing and we can really see us making an impact as well. But when I consider what this looks like to grow together, it's really like I just, I have to talk about life groups, right? Because life groups, when we're here at Calvary, that is for us, one of those best ways for us to be able to take a big room like this and say, okay, I gotta be able to gather with people and I need to be able to talk with them and get to know them and pray for each other and challenge each other and be encouraged by each other and, and see how we can be growing together. But you could see where We're better together. If we could just even show this little clip of just a little thing for life groups, check this out. All right. So that's just fun. But you can see, I mean, at some level it's true, right? Like we are we're better together in, in this way, that we need to be growing together. And, and uh, I think that this Christian life is better in groups. And so that's what, that's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. And we are truly better together. I love this passage also in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 it says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, we all are bringing unique gifts to the family, to the, the kingdom of God as we all come together. And that's, that's what we can do, you know, like we know that we bring these different gifts these different gifts, like if we only have evangelists, like no one's teaching and building people up, right? If we only have teachers and no one's coming to the faith because there's nobody with evangelizing, that sort of a thing. And so we have to recognize that we are each then called by God to be fulfilling our own unique role, that we're coming with totally different, unique gifts. But we need all of us. We're missing something when people go off and are doing it alone, but we want to do it. And so it's funny how we know it's better together, right? We know we're better together like a spiritual Voltron, if you're part of like the 80s childhood like me. But this spiritual thing where we all come together to form one thing that's greater, but we don't really want it, right? We want to be alone. It's easier to be alone. And I think that's come from a lot of the, there's like the good sense of this theology of a personal relationship with Christ that maybe goes as far back as Luther, right? Like where you know, where that was good. We need it we need to know that we can have a personal relationship with Christ, but it's become this thing where it's an individualistic religion where we are only we think, oh it's just you and me, God, only you and me, right? That's all that matters. It doesn't matter about all these other people. I'm just gonna focus on you and we become these sort of hermits or something. But I just wish that the scriptures had the word we and us and our like in gold highlighted versions so that it would just stand out to us. Even more. And you know, I think a passage that's actually pretty amazing is um, where you see the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6 9, Jesus tells them, Pray then in this way Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? You see that? That way of thinking, that that if we're praying this way, we're thinking this sort of way, like we are a community together, holding each other up, when one is tempted by something, we all are in some way, right? And do we help that brother or sister in our family when they are tempted? And help us then, okay, lead us, lead us not into that temptation, Lord. We pray that for one another. And in, in all the other ways that that plays out, but we begin to think of this Christian faith differently than just our own individual, personal relationship with God. Because what happens is we're slaves to convenience, Right? We are slaves to convenience. But being a slave to convenience drastically reduces your potential for impact. Nothing great has happened in a convenient way. You know? There's no great movements of the world that have happened just with, that are just. Ah, no sacrifice, no struggle, no working together, you know, no planning, none of that. No, it's just, you know, it's just convenient. No, it's hard. It's hard work. But great things happen when we are together. And so I ask, are we willing to give up what is convenient for what is great? Are we willing to give up just this ease of life alone to see how we together then can make an impact because we need to not just grow together, we need to reach together. And that's what we want. We want to be reaching our world for Christ in a way that we do that together. And, uh, we just have a, I just have a few ways that we want to illustrate this to you. And the first is through something that we did called the plane pull. And I want to let the, the video speak for itself. So check this out. So we heard about this thing called the plane pull. It's a fundraiser for the Special Olympics up at the Long Beach Airport, where you go and you have to pull a plane. And we thought, you know, some people get a whole team together to do this, but we've got Pastor Dave. So, I mean, yeah. he should be able to do it himself, right? That's what we thought. Well, I looked at this little airplane that was sitting over there. In fact, it was the highway patrol airplane. And I thought, this ought to be easy to pull. So I picked up the rope, I pulled as hard as I could, I couldn't get it to budge an inch. Now, the challenge was, right behind me was a 757. And we were there to pull that giant airplane, and I thought, there's no way we're ever going to get that to budge even a little bit, let alone 12 feet, that we wanted to pull it. That's right. So, we got a whole team together. Twenty-five people. Because there was... Like you said, no way we could do it just by ourselves, but 25 of us, we got together, we trained, we prepared, and we went out there and we pulled that plane. Yeah, it was incredible. In fact, uh, we were just one second slower than the fastest group that pulled it, so I was very impressed, actually, with that. Yes. I thought that was a good job. Now, the exciting thing is that we're beginning a brand new series this uh, fall on Ephesians. And the whole theme is how we are better together building together what God's called us to do, we're always stronger when we do it together. One of us couldn't pull the plane, but as a team, we can. Just like not one of us individually can make this huge impact for the kingdom of God, but together we can. And together with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be better together. Awesome. So that was a fun, obviously a fun time, a cool thing to be able to do, but this, this whole deal, like, right, you cannot pull a plane together. And I got to talk to you about inconvenience. To try and get 25 people to do something in the middle of the day on a summer Saturday is not convenient. It was on me. I was the one that was trying to get the team together. And it was hard. It was, a, it was annoying. It would have been so much easier for me to just show up there by myself and go pull the plane, except for I couldn't pull the plane, right? That's the problem. And so, for obviously, that's where we can see that there's struggle and there's stuff that's like inconvenient, but when we gather together, we can really do incredible things, and even in our placing, get one second slower, as Dave said, to the fastest people, and that was, anyway, but that was pretty cool. But um, also, where this kind of came from, actually, this whole thing with this plane pull was another analogy, and it's of... Uh, these horses called draft horses. If you don't know, draft horses are essentially horses that have been bred to pull heavy weight, okay? They're pulling horses. Uh, And so these horses, they can pull, one horse can pull about 8,000 pounds just on their own. Now, where this gets interesting is that when you have two horses pulling together, like what I would just think is that with two horses, then they could pull 16,000 pounds, right? but actually what happens is is that two horses pulling together they can actually pull 24,000 pounds. So two horses pulling together don't just do double, but they actually do, they do three times as much as one horse can do. And it gets even more interesting in that when those two horses are like have worked together some, they have some training together and experience together, they actually don't pull three times, they pull Four times, they pull 32,000 pounds of weight. And that's where we can really begin to see is that example like that, that when we work together, when we are together in this as a community, when we're trying to make an impact for Christ, we don't just do double together. It's yet triple or maybe even four times the impact that we can have. But we all have to recognize that we're all bringing something unique to not think that your impact isn't worthwhile, because it is, or to not think that your impact is better than other people's, because it isn't. We need all of us, the body of Christ, coming together. And it's actually this kind of interesting, cool analogy, too, of uh, the space shuttle. Uh, Dave was just telling us this last week about how he went uh, on his vacation, went and visited the space shuttle at the museum up in LA, and the space shuttle Endeavor. And what's cool is, like, if you see that black part on the bottom and kind of the front and the bottom... Well, the whole shuttle is covered in these little squares. And you can see them better in this picture, right? The whole thing's covered with these little squares. I remember this being a big deal when... When the space shuttle Challenger crashed, and they would, like, I remember investigating and talking about all these little squares so much because of, like, how important they are. Because what these little squares do, in my very unscientific way of explaining it, is essentially they keep it from not burning up when it's passing through the atmosphere, okay? They protect the plane and they all have, or the shuttle, and they all have a very specific, important uh, job to do because what's so interesting is. You can't, you have to have all of them working, right? They all have to work, so they all have to be together to cover the shuttle. But the other really cool thing about it is that each and every little square is built and designed uniquely for the spot on the shuttle that they are put on, okay? So every single one is built and designed uniquely to be put in that one spot on the shuttle, And they all have to then come together to make, you know, to do what a space shuttle is successful at doing. Of going through the atmosphere and not burning up, right? Well, that's such a cool analogy, I think, for us. Because in this whole thing of being better together, we all are created uniquely. And we all have a very specific purpose. And so we need to fulfill that purpose, right, that God has given us uniquely, yet We come together as a whole to be able to do that. And so we are better together, yet living out those unique giftings that God has given to each one of us. Here's the thing. I think our church, I think our church is like the people in Ephesians. It's like we're this sleeping giant that we have been given so much I mean, these people in Ephesus were rich, they were wealthy, they had, you know, there's a variety of people, but they had resources. You know, we have resources. We have giftings, like them, all these different giftings coming together, and yet we think that we can't, right? Or we think that we can't do enough, or we can't make that impact, but I want to challenge us in this that we can, that we're this sleeping giant that needs to wake up and get out there and serve our community, to serve, our, to serve one another, to love one another, to make an impact on the world for Jesus. And that God wants to do great things through us, not through you. God wants to do great things through us, not through you. So stop worrying about the impact you can make as an individual as much And stop thinking that you maybe are so great that the only thing that matters is what you do as an individual. And let's start thinking of ways that we can get together and go make that impact on the world for Jesus Christ. And so we want to be a church that can do that. So we want to give you some ways that you can do that as well, or at least to begin practicing that. And maybe that's your life group, getting together and going and doing something together to make an impact. Maybe that's joining in on something uh, we have as a church, something cool coming up in just a couple weeks, is this thing called the Love Santa Ana Initiative. It's a serve day for our city. And what's so cool is it's not just from Calvary. There's a bunch of churches in Santa Ana that are gathering together to do this. And we're going to meet a a variety of different needs in our city. But you can find out more about this. So it's not just us, but even, but it's the big C church, all of the church, Gathering together to make an impact on this city of Santa Ana. And so that's how, you know, if you want to be a part of that, I encourage you. Matt uh, Doan is out there, he's got a table with Alpha Course stuff and also with Love Santa Ana stuff that you can talk to him about, getting involved, or go to CalvaryLife.org slash local so that we can do this together. We can make that kind of impact for the kingdom of God. And so I want us to like talk this out a little bit, okay? I want us to talk this out, and so what we're gonna have in within this whole series, okay, this whole Better Together series, we're going to do a couple things differently. I know we got the whole name tags thing today. Maybe about half of you have one on, and that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, we, we're doing that, like, not just because it seems like, I don't know, we want to, like, make you have to have a name tag and it's anno- be annoying to you, you know, but we're trying to actually, if we're going to be better together, we got to know each other a little bit more, you know? We need to be able to, to know each other, and maybe we can just help you with crossing some barriers, I don't know, whatever that is, just to be able to get to know each other a little better, and so obviously we have life groups, but then obviously too we have these times that we sit in this room, and so what we'd love to ask you is just a request, but it might be kind of interesting if for the course of this whole series that you come, it doesn't have to be the seat you're in or even the section you're in, but maybe come and sit in the same section of the room each time. And at least just start with getting to know some of these people that you might be sitting around every week but you've never actually talked to, you know? And so we'd love to help, like, start doing some of that. So to introduce yourself, to get to know each other a little bit, and just see how that builds over time. But you can kind of notice, like, the room is built up in these little sections of chairs. And, and so I just encourage you to start thinking that way and, and uh, people, get to know these people in that section you're in. But what we're also going to do is have some time of discussion, and each week where you can have a time where you're not just shaking people's hand and you don't actually say anything to them, but actually group up with maybe four or five people. Don't just do the person next to you, okay? Intentionally go for like four people so that it's maybe a couple people you don't know as well. And invite them in and then let's talk about this. And just discuss, introduce yourselves. And then, you know, I, I think for me this first part is just how is this lived out? You know, what is this concept of being better together together? look like in your real everyday life? You know, just sort of normal life. What does being better together actually look like? We're going to give you a few minutes to do this now, just to gather up with some people. What I'd encourage you, though, is that... Maybe you, you hang out with those people some other time, too. I don't know. You know, just see how it goes. Maybe you chat for three minutes after the service because only one of you was able to share. Something like that. We're just kind of proposing this to you, that we can get to know each other a little bit better. So let's spend a few minutes now, group up with about four people around you, and talk about this. Begin to wrap it up, if you can. Begin to wrap it up. I know, it's brutal. (laughs) Okay, here's what I'd love if we could try and do. Try and, if you want to sit even with those people, you can. If you want to go back to your seat, because that's where your stuff is, that's fine. But continue these conversations at the end of the service. (laughs) This is good. Okay, so here's what we want to do now. I'm sorry to stop you guys. I apologize. But this is supposed to be a taste. And you're supposed to want to do this more, which it seems like you want to. And so I want to encourage you guys to do that more. Obviously, the worship service doesn't tend to be the place where we're do this for 20 minutes most of the time. But I want you to try and find those times that you can, or even longer. Because again we see that as connection begins, it's, we, we love it. We crave it. We cherish it. It's good for us. And as we move into now a time of communion and of remembering the, the crucifixion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, I want us to see and remember that we also do this together that it started off that way right this is supposed to be a meal even that we'd be sharing not just a cracker and a little you know a little tiny plastic cup of juice but there's something bigger going on here that we can even remember over a table what Christ has done where we would sit for a long meal together and remember that and we would break bread and we would drink from the cup and we'd remember what Christ has done but even Luke 22:17, Jesus says take this And share it among yourselves, as he's referring to the the bread and the cup, actually. And in 1 John 1.3, he says that you may have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, that we want to commune with God, we want to have fellowship with God and with one another, and together... That's why we, in Elevation, we, we have these tables a lot of time, but once a month we make sure that we pass it out so that together we are remembering what Christ has done and that we are together, you know, we are fellowshipping with Him and with, with each other. So that's what we want to do now is we're going to go into a time of, of worship through singing as well as the elements will be passed. I want you just to hold on to them and just wait until I come back up and I'll lead us as we take communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great, great love for us in sending your son, Jesus. And for the example of of the unity, Father, between you and your son that helps us to have that same unity with each other, Lord, that we would strive for that. And we would ask for your spirit to give that to us. I pray, Lord, now that we would remember the sacrifice that you have made, Lord, your death on the cross, the shedding of your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.